Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 21 starting in verse 20 and the last time the message was titled a balanced view right because we're talking about eschatology or the study of end times you know what does Jesus say about things that are going to happen what about the Lord's second coming and why we call it a balanced view is because first of all when there's a when churches don't teach the Bible the followers They've never read Jesus' teachings on their own. They don't really know what's going on. What did Jesus say? Well, he, I started reading the Bible. You know, wow, he said that. Can somebody help me with some of these things, some of these parables, etc.? Uh, so the fact that with the second coming, when it's not taught, it leaves what I would call a spiritual vacuum. And vacuums are always filled with something. So what happens, especially with this topic Wrong teachings come in, false teachings, false messiahs, dates for the end of the world, weird stuff. And that leads to fear and instability. However, when you do right by teaching the Lord's words, when you don't take it out of context, when you, you know, use a lot of other supporting scripture, what that leads to is joy. To know that this world of storms and earthquakes and hurricanes and wars and battles and poverty and cancer and oh my could go on and depress you right i'll stop there but we know that the lord has you know this world is starting to run its course and he has a better plan so we're actually going to talk a little bit more about that next sunday to leave on a high note because this is the second sermon and it's out of three sermons okay um we're going to look at this in four parts and just a little disclaimer here is that when i started uh when i had i guess uh, made the transition from religion, which I really wasn't acting like a Christian, uh, to really having a relationship with the Lord, it really took me some time to understand these concepts. So if you're saying, gee, I'm, I'm kind of lost in this subject, you know, I, I don't get this, it's going to take a while. It took me actually quite quite amount of years, not only studying it on my own, but going through different study aids, going through different people that were good teachers that helped me to get up to speed. And, and I'm going to tell you, the more... I started studying it, the more I, I was hungry, like I just wanted more. Um, and hopefully I can stir up your appetite this morning. In addition to that, uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but there's a lot of Old Testament precedent, you know, Old Testament precedent. So this isn't some, you know, thing that just started with Christianity. This, there's a contiguity here from the Old Testament to the New, and I'm going to touch on that um, and read some of the scripture. So the first part out of four is a recap of Sermon 1. Now, just to whet your appetite, if you weren't here or you just showed up at this church brand new for the first time, we spoke about a lot of things that fit into the biblical prophecy, right? To things today, UAPs, gain-of-function research, mutations, pestilence, tectonic activity, artificial intelligence, natural disasters, some of these things are new. Some of these things are not new, but they're starting to increase over time. 
So if you look, talk to a geologist and you follow tectonic activity, et cetera, um, you know, they'll give you that tracking. Right? So you can track a lot of these things. Um, however, this type of information, these birth pangs, so to speak, will be ramped up tremendously in our future. So I'm not a date setter. Jesus said no one will know, so I'm not going to give you any dates. Okay? But we are starting to see a lot of things ramp up that we haven't seen even 20 years ago. So interesting stuff. However, in verse 9, I love this. Jesus says to his followers, do not be terrified. So if you're under a teaching, if you know the Lord, have a relationship with the Lord, and you're under a teaching that every time you listen, you're terrified, you're horrified, they're teaching it wrong. Because we look forward to the Lord's return. And this goes all the way back into Daniel 9, right? These these future occurrences. Um, but here, here's the thing. Nobody has to be here. And we're going to talk about how in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God provides for protecting his, his people and also for pulling them out of dangerous situations. So we're going to look at that as well. Now, this is a timeline. <laughs> it took me a while to get the hang of it, but God will speak in prophetic teachings. He'll speak about things that happened in the past, present, and future. For us, we like to follow linear time. It's easy for our human brains. God is outside of time. So it is a, like I often say, a learning curve to understand the prophetic timeline. So we're going to see what, what I just covered in, per, in part one was what we're experiencing in 2023, which is the lead up to these things happening. But now we're going to go back to, I call near and far prophecy. Right? Find this in the Old and the New Testament. So now, if you're his followers in the first century, I'm going to go back to what I would call near prophecy because he's going to get his followers up to speed in A.D. 32-ish about what's going to happen in their near future. So let's go back to near. Verse 20. He says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Now he's referenced this multiple times, but we're going to hit it from some different angles then you know its desolation is near. Remember, he, to the hearers, the temple is there, the marble, the gold, the glitz, the glamour, Herod's reconstruction project. So when Jesus talks about this war and the temple going away, well, we, we, I, we grew up without knowing that there's no temple there. But they knew the temple was there. So try to understand the mind of the believer back then. So he goes, know that its desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her, meaning Jerusalem. These are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those, it's going to be difficult for those who are pregnant, right? They have to move around. And those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So two is the destruction of Jerusalem. We covered this extensively, right? In Luke 19 and Luke 20, it was important for his followers to understand what was going to happen in less than 40 years. And this is known as the A.D. 66 through A.D. 70 Roman Jewish Wars. Okay? Um, how could he know such detail? It was so incredible, because he's God the Son, that he knew it, that a lot of people didn't even believe it. It seemed unfathomable to them, but it happened. Interestingly enough, historian Eusebius, if you look up Eusebius, the historian, 
he actually chronicles the fact that Jewish people and Christians and even some Romans who were in Jerusalem and they started to see Titus' armies mustering up. They're like, oh, remember what Jesus said? <laughs> Pack your bags, we're out of here. You know what I'm saying? And all these people fled Jerusalem before this horrible event took place. Uh, they crossed the River Jordan and found safety in Pella, which is in modern-day Jordan. Kind of fascinating because the Bible speaks about a future event in Jerusalem, right? There's always some turmoil uh, in that area. Um, but it does speak about a future event where Jerusalem will, will have the rebuilt temple on it. And the same type of situation will arise. It starts with a politico-religious kind of dispute that uh, starts to conflagrate. And in this future event, I don't know, 20, 30, 20, 50, I don't know. But the people are going to see that and say, we should leave, right? So the same thing, the believers back then, the believers in the future will also say we should leave. Now, interestingly enough, and you could see how God's um, prophecies, you know, they all touch each other. And you see a lot of confirmation. So historically, according to Eusebius, they crossed the Jordan River, they got out of Jerusalem, and ended up in Pella, which is in modern-day Jordan. So I looked up Pella and I looked up Petra. They're both in modern-day Jordan. And the future people in Jerusalem were also going to flee and find safety in the rock city of Petra. Now, I know a guy who served in the military who was stationed in, in Jordan, and I was going over Bible prophecy. He's a believer, and we were talking, and he said, Pastor Joe, he goes, out of a lot of those countries that surround Israel, modern-day Jordan is actually the closest to accepting them, accepting Israel as a, a, a nation. So again, the Bible's always right. It, history just has to catch up to it. I love this stuff. <laughs> Verse 22, I speak... And again, well... I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I'm so excited. Can you tell? Uh, I try not to drink too much coffee before sermon because then I'm really going. So verse 22, the days of vengeance. Again, there, were, there was bitter fighting on both sides. He speaks about people being led away into cap captivity. Again, he's saying this before it happens, but we know from history that the Romans won, obviously. It was very bitter. Um, those that didn't perish. Some of them were sold into slavery by the Romans. They had such a bitterness towards this Jerusalem in a religious sense that they renamed the city Aelia Capitolina. Does anybody ever heard of that? Aelia Capitolina? Of course not. It's buried deep in the annals of history. But what Jesus said was true. Now, I have to put in, and this is, this is one of those teachings where it's going to be heavy on prophecy and details and stuff. Um, usually every Sunday, we put in some sort of uh, application, right? How do I live my life, Pastor Joe? So I'm trying to fit that in here. So I'm going to take a little pause and say that even unbelievers will say, well, why didn't God stop it? Right? Isn't that what we get as Christians? We get the blowback. Why doesn't God do this? And why doesn't God do that? And if I was God, well, you're not. So stop applying for his position. Uh, but if we look at Deuteronomy 28, which is embedded deep in the Old Testament, it's a long chapter, but it says in a nutshell that God says to his people, if you continue to follow my ways, you continue to operate in the framework of what I set forth for you, you'll have protection. But if you don't, you're pretty much on your own to your own free will and the free will of others. So read Deuteronomy 28. Uh, Jesus even wept. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. We covered this in Luke 19. 
Everyone's, you know, putting palm branches. They're rejoicing. They're crying. They're singing. And Jesus is weeping because he knows what's going to happen to Jerusalem. But God gave us free will. Amen? So we, we have to see that the AD 66 through 70 war that was instigated by the, cel- the zealots and the Sakari, right? And the zealots today, they were outside of God's will. So what Jesus said was, listen, I'm going to give you specific instructions. And when you see these things happen, thousands of you can leave. Just flee. Just get out of there. Literally, if everybody listened to Jesus, the city would have been empty. Unfortunately, many didn't listen and they suffered. So God will always warn us. He'll always guide us. But it's a question of whether we accept that and take that. And if we're all honest with ourselves, sometimes we haven't and we get ourselves into trouble. So verse 24, he speaks about Jerusalem being trampled by the Gentiles, which is again unheard of at the time. So all these Gentiles, non-Jews are going to come in. They're going to trample Jerusalem, right? They get rid of the temple. Now people are literally walking on the Temple Mount. The Romans actually plowed everything over. So nobody knows even where they're walking because everything was plowed over, right? Place is gone. So it's trampled, right? A picture of with your feet, trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Historical fact, the Romans actually banned Jewish people from Jerusalem for a time. And then they did it in 132 A.D. when they followed another false messiah and they beat that guy, Bar, Bar Kokhba. Then again, they scattered them again and said, you know, it was, a, it was really a racist thing for the Romans to do. Um, but, you know, there was really not a whole lot of ethics codes back then. So they, 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 the Jewish people were removed from this once holy city dedicated to God. Now, if you weren't here last time, there was a lot of corruption that took place in the religious system. A lot of, you know, murderous people like Herod the Great who had his hand in the, the glamorization of the temple. So there's a lot that goes behind this, right? So God just, he just stepped back and let whatever happened, happen. Interestingly enough, in 1948, Israel becomes a nation, but it's not until 1967, the year I was born, a few months before I was born, where Israel retook biblical Jerusalem. Right? This is a fact. So, this is for theologians to argue. Are the times of the Gentiles finished because Israel now has control of Jerusalem? Some scholars think that it's not until the, uh, the temple is rebuilt on the Temple Mount. Now, I'm not sure which position I take, but i got to say we're getting real close. <laughs> so, um, the Dome of the Rock is up there. It would cause major unrest if the Jewish people started building it. However, it could be something solved simply with peace accords and, and a wall that separated the two faiths. There's enough room up there. And if you visit www.templeinstitute.org, they're not Christians, but they're all about rebuilding the temple and putting it on the Temple Mount. So the prophetic clock, folks, is getting really close. Okay, So three is... Um, prophetic history repeats itself. So I'm going to go into something that's a little weighty, a little heavy, a little that has to do with what's going on in the world today. A lot of things that many here, some here may not know about, but it fits into prophecy. So prophetic history repeats itself. I'm going to talk about waves of prophetic fulfillment. So there's some things that happened. How many people are familiar with the Hanukkah story? It's a great story. Right? 
The Grecian uh, Antiochus Epiphanes comes into Jerusalem, slaughters people. I mean, that's not the good part, right? Uh, he comes in, he makes war with the Jewish people, and he, they take, he takes over the temple, he defiles it. I believe it's the Hasmoneans rose up under Judas Maccabeus, and they were able to overthrow the Grecian forces, cleanse the temple, and what is the miracle of Hanukkah? That the oil lasted, right? Far more than it was supposed to last. They rededicated the temple. I believe it was eight days. Correct me on that one if I'm wrong. So that's a great story. However, Antiochus Epiphanes was a, a form of an antichrist. Now, understand what this means. When you look at the Greek, we think of anti as an opposition. But if you look at the Greek, anti is a substitute. So, Antiochus Epiphanes comes in there. I want to be worshipped. I'm in the temple. I'm in God's house. Worship me as God. I'm a substitution for the Messiah. Well, the Messiah hadn't come yet. Romans uh, come in A.D. 70. They defile the temple again. How? By their dirty sandals trampling all over the Holy of Holies, leveling it, and they defile the temple area again. Titus was a picture of an Antichrist, although he's a very interesting character if you read about him. Because 1 John tells us there's many Antichrists to come. Many people, Adolf Hitler was an Antichrist, Joseph Stalin. The first thing that they do is they get a hold of religion and they put their swastikas in the churches, which happened, or their hammer and sickles and say, now you worship communism or Nazism. Worship me. You know, I'm going to deliver you. And, and they all... They all say the same thing. They all talk about how they're for the people and the working man, and they never are. So these Antichrist figures, they are a self-proclaimed Messiah. Well, people of false teachers have done that in, I would call, pseudo-Christianity, because it isn't real Christianity, whether it's uh, David Koresh or the Millerites or any of these folks that you can study over time, it goes to their head. It's a deity complex. However, if you control armies, that's a scary thing. So there will be one more who's the quintessential last Antichrist who comes and he will come when the temple is rebuilt. He will be in it and he will want to be worshipped as God. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament and Daniel chapter 7. So let's look at this. In Luke's Gospel in 21, he focuses on Jesus' discussion mainly of the first century. However, in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, they focus on Jesus' discussion about the Antichrist, the last one who comes, which is our future. And it's very interesting. It's a very interesting discussion because, again, with people, if you're tempted to say, I'm already confused. We're, we're in 2023. We're past 2023. We're back in the first century. We're AD 70. There are waves of these prophetic fulfillments. So Luke is saying, I'm going to focus on what's going to happen in less than 40 years so the people here understand Jesus' warning. Mark and Matthew say, well, I'm going to focus on the part that Jesus is talking about future believers and telling them to be careful and warn them about a future fascist dictator. And it's, this isn't hard to believe or understand. Right? If you look at, you go into, and again, look at their videos because people comment and they quote them, but they can't really articulated i've watched these videos to ad nauseum listen to people in their own words when you look at these multi-billionaires who meet in davos at the world economic forum they're telling us that they want us to own no private property they want us to be shut in 
They want us to not use certain, you know, fuels and things to heat our homes. They want us to, our, they want our driving to be curtailed. They say this stuff openly. They basically have a deity complex. They want to rule the world, and it's a globalist movement. So let's go back to the scripture. Who is this Antichrist that Mark and Matthew focus more on, more on with Jesus' teachings? In Daniel 7, he's understood as the little horn, which is actually not a diminutive, sort of it is, it for, sort of isn't, because the horns were a, a picture of great power. And the little horn, a man shouldn't even be a horn, but he has so much power that this is how he's characterized. Uh, in Zechariah 11. So just like the true Messiah has many qualities, and they're all good qualities, the false Messiah has many qualities, and they're all bad qualities. So in Zechariah 11, the Antichrist is known as the worthless shepherd because he comes off as a shepherd. Follow me, I'll take care of you. But he's worthless. He does nothing for the people. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, he's, un- he's known as the man of sin. He's pure evil. He's a man who sold pretty much his soul to Satan willingly. In Revelation 11 and Revelation 19, when I taught Revelation, he's known as the beast. So how would I describe this person who eventually is going to be well-known on the world stage? Well, I would say that right now, he's a godless man in geopolitics. Notice I said geopolitics. He far surpasses anything in the United States or Europe. He wants a big slice of the pie. He doesn't just want to be a leader of a country. Uh, so he's in geopolitics who's planning to take control over the globalist infrastructure. Okay. Let me, let me give you some proof text here about where globalism is going. Mark my words, globalism. And there are some good organizations that do things globally, right? But globalism in general is a revived Tower of Babel. It's if you go into Genesis and you go into primitive peoples, they built this tower. And the leader's discussion was that they were going to build this tower and get to heaven circumventing God. Sort of like breaking into his house. You know, we want your place, but we don't want you. So God confused the languages, scattered everything. Globalism is an attempt today to rebuild that, right? And it's, it's, taking, it's getting a lot of traction. I'll give you an example. Let's take the politics out it out of it. Let's take the culture out of it. So BLM is an organization that raised uh, about $90 million, Black Lives Matter. And it's supposed to be something to help people. Social justice, whether you agree or not, we're not going there. But see, I'm the kind of guy that I read the news and I, I go all the way down to the articles in the 24th and 20th, the stuff that's buried. I like doing that. A lot of people don't know this. BLM is suing itself. Because what, the, what Detroit didn't know and Baltimore and Philly and all these cities who were saying, hey, where's the money? You know, the stores are burned down. Um, kids need to go to college. We need scholarships. BLM is saying, we have a global fund. And it all went to the globalist fund. And they're like, wait, 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 I'm scratching my head. George Floyd, Minneapolis, the United States. What was this globalist fund? So it's in the courts now because the money's gone, Right. What I'm trying to say to you is whether we're talking about American corporations, politics, uh, policy in the United States, social justice, uh, skin care, everything has a globalist wing to it. It's the new thing. Climate, it's global. Well, we've got to send billions of dollars overseas. Well, who's getting it? Well, we're not really sure, but it's going it's to lower the carbon in the atmosphere. 
just trust us. Just keep giving us money. Just do what we say. Just don't drive as much. Don't use a gas stove. So globalism is actually taking a very strong root in this world, not just this country. I personally believe that a lot of our politicians in both parties have sold out the United States for globalism. So let's look at this. Luke tells us, right? Let's, let's go back to here. Uh, Luke tells us in Jesus' prophecy to flee when the Romans surround Jerusalem in the first century. Mark 24, Mark 13 tell the people to flee. I don't want to say us because I'm getting to that. When this globalist fascist sets himself up in the temple wanting worship like many men have done before. It's not uncommon. It's a, it's a deity complex. So keep your eyes on Jerusalem. I want to read something to you in Revelation 13 that 2,000 years ago, people were like, what? What does this mean? Technology caught up with prophecy. So for thousands of years, people read Revelation and like, well, how is this going to happen? Well, let's see. Israel becoming back into the land, 1948, three years after the Holocaust. Who would have ever thought that Israel would have become a nation again? I mean, they had help, but... Um, that's amazing. Imagine the prophecies of Israel coming back into the land for thousands of years. People saying, it's never going to happen. Now with this going on overseas, it's never going to happen. It happened. Bible's always right. So thir- verse uh, uh, Revelation thirteen fifteen. So this ecumenical leader who's not for God, he's just all about consolidating the religions, and, and we're seeing that too in ecumenism. I think we should get along. We should love people, live and let live. But this leader is, he's also a globalist. He's all about, I don't know who he is, going about all the religions together and giving the religious wing, the spiritual wing to the Antichrist. Antichrist is largely political. The, the, the other beast, the other uh, false prophet is largely religious. Got to get them together. Again, any good dictator... Let me use that word. Any um, successful dictator, put good, let's get rid of that word, will try to get the people, the spiritual people together too. He's got to get them on board. He's got to get everybody on board. So we're going to see this in the future. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. The beast is known as the Antichrist. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and rich, and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Fun with Greek. This person, this geopolitical guy, wants to be godlike. So he now has two things to do. He's got to run his wars. He's got to keep the people locked down and under control. But there's also a part of him that wants to be worshipped. So you get this picture. He's, it's the image of the beast. Hmm. You look up the Greek word, people are like, what is this image? Is it a painting? No, because it actually moves. It actually does things. It receives worship as if it's animated. It's human. So the, the word in the Greek indicates a, a, a carbon copy, right? A duplicate, a clone, if you will. Don't know if that's the case, but I got to tell you this. There are, they've cloned animals. There was a movie Hollywood made that... Um, it, it, they're so creepy, these movies. But then the technology kind of catches up to the creepiness. 
where they have people that they make, they make blanks, human bodies and their own suspended animation. And for the powerful people, when they die or get cancer, their essence is now uploaded into one of these blanks and they get to live again, right? Again, they can do it with animals. You don't think they can do it with people? So cloning artificial intelligence. Wow. I saw a guy, uh, he was a newscaster, and I don't know if you saw the commercial, he was talking, and next to him, he was talking too, and he goes, that's not me, that's an AI representation. Creepy stuff. So the technology is here. China, the CCP, is experimenting with, sadly enough, the Uyghurs, who are ethnic minorities, who most powerful people in the world don't seem to care about. I care about them. Ennis Cantor of the NBA, but the NBA has blackballed them for it. Um, these are the things that are going on. Joseph Mengele with the Nazis, right? The human experiments. It's taking place today. Um, they're talking about Dr. Harari from the WEF has talked about, again, this is open. I saw our politicians at the forum with these creepy people. So this doctor, he, because he, he hates God, um, he talked about hacking the human genome. They're doing experiments with DNA and the human genetics. Okay? Uh, China is experimenting with super soldiers, not just AI robots. Those things are creepy too, man. <laughs> you ever, you're like, and they're like all metal and they come after you. This is like sci-fi stuff, but this stuff exists, right? So for years, people said, what is this revelation? What is this stuff? Wow, in the last 20 years, phew, this stuff all makes sense now. Now they'll tell you, they always say this, it's to cure cancer or world poverty but it never ends up like that, right? It's for altruistic reasons. There's just some things as human beings we should not play with. So this Antichrist now is able to uh, be in two places at once. He's, he's trying to get, because he's trying to replicate God, omnipresence. I can be here running these wars, and I could be over here being worshipped. Wild stuff, isn't it? So, <laughs> this is good news. <laughs> um... The whole chip in the hand, the chip in the head. Some people, when I talk up here, they don't believe me. So I keep my articles, I keep my videos. Um, Whole Foods did an experiment with uh, RFID, subdermal implants, right? RFID readers. Right? So you go to Whole Foods and you could put your hand over the scanner and pay for your groceries. Ah, we love convenience, don't we? Show the image. It's Chip Girl. Look how happy she is. I just paid for my groceries at Whole Foods by running my right hand over the scanner. That's great. So then the, then the powers that be are going to say, well, well, if you can do that, you can put your medical information, you could put your vaccination status, you could put your bank account numbers. We don't need cash. They're already talking about a cashless society, digitized money. Well, if they keep printing dollars the way they do, we're worth $30 trillion in debt, the system crashes, you go to digitized money. Oh, we can't help it. This is, but we're going to put $10,000 in everyone's bank account. You don't worry about it. That's what they do. That's how leaders control people. Don't, don't sustain yourself. We'll take care of you. Okay, so, you know, you, did you know that and being a, a law enforcement veteran, right, I have some of them in here, that there are people who are very smart, who are criminals. You think they should open a business or something, but they go to a life of crime, that they have these, looks like a backpack, looks like a bag, they're RFID readers. They can literally get close to you and they can read your information. God designed the human mind 
So whatever you're thinking right now, you could say, that sermon stinks. I'll never know unless you tell me. The beauty about what God gave us is our brains. It's private. They want to change all that. Now it's for everyone to view. Listen to Dr. Harari, hacking the human genome, making a hybrid race of half computer, half, uh, half people, um, you know, manipulating the gen- genome. Listen, evidence is coming out now that that's what happened with COVID. A higher transmissibility, higher virulence, and oh, it escaped from a lab. Okay. Just don't believe these people anymore. So this is the world that we're getting into. Okay, enough bad news. Let's move to the next page. <laughs> Verse 25 through 28, it gets better. So, back into Luke 21, 25 through 28. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory, great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. So four is two major events confused. We're going to talk about the Lord's second coming, which he talked about openly. He even spoke about it in communion, right? With his disciples. And the herpazo or the rapture or the removal. So verse 25, signs in the sun, moon, stars coincides with the cataclysm. If you're new to the teachings of the Bible, I would encourage you to get the Revelation series that we did. We have the whole series online. Revelation 6, 8, 9, 15 through 18. Now we're in far again. Remember we were in near? Based on their perspective, Now, from their perspective, we're in far prophecy, which is actually our future as well. So, why does Jesus, I like to paint myself into a corner, why does Jesus tell us in verse 9, do not be terrified? But in verse 26, men's hearts were failing with fear because he's speaking to believers diachronistically, which means over the course of human history. So, in other words, if he's talking to us and we're in Christ, don't be terrified. You know, these things are going to happen, but I'm coming. For those who, what I say, missed the first bus, right? So the, the rapture comes, right? Today, if the Lord was to call us home, I'm not saying that's happening. Um, it will be the first bus, so to speak. That's just sort of my paraphrase. For those that miss that, and they're still on the earth when these things start to get ramped up, uh, their hearts will fail from fear. You could be the toughest guy in the world. You start to see fires and storms and Government doesn't know what it's doing. Everything's collapsing, all these wars. You're going to be scared. So it's just a fact. However, for those people that are stuck in this tribulation period, here's the blessing. He says in verse 28, it's not going to last forever. When these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads because your redemption draws near. So for those people that rebelled against God, hated God, um, and I'm going to explain what the rapture of the Harpazo is, God's removal and protection of His people, somewhere in that seven-year period, they, they repent, just like the one thief on the cross who mocked Jesus, because they both did it first. And then the one of them comes to Christ and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The human will is a very interesting thing. You can be so adamant on, about something one second, and then the next second say, you know what, Lord, I give. 
you know, I, w- I want to try it your way. My, my way isn't working. So he's saying to those people stuck in that time period, you got something to look forward to. This isn't going to last forever. Now, let's talk about what God removing his people looks like. Well, if you go into the Old Testament, because I'm bringing the Old Testament into this, um, God has often removed his people, or what I would call, my paraphrase, sheltered them in place to protect them. So what do I mean by that? When Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim were being cataclysmically leveled, easy for me to say, he removed Lot and his family. And they weren't even perfect saints, but he removed them because they were believers. However, he sheltered in place the children of Israel when the last plague came through Egypt. Right? They stayed in their homes, but they were protected. So God does this in the Old Testament. He'll remove some, right? Noah and the ark. I, I liken that with Sodom and Gomorrah. They're removed. Children of Israel and Egypt, they're sheltered in place. And again, that's my paraphrase. So we know about a time that's going to come where the Lord comes for His saints before these horrible uh, revelation judgments start to take place. Verse 27, He says, The Son of Man is coming in clouds with power and glory. Now, if I didn't know the Lord, I might have read that and really got scared. But knowing the Lord, I'd be like, that's good news. Because He's going to remove the evil the corrupt politicians, I say that a lot. Uh, you could see how I feel about the political world. Uh, the high taxes, the all kinds of eminent domain. You know, He's going to remove all that and He's going to rule righteously. So I say, hey, that's a good thing. Zechariah 12, 10 through 12. Let's go back to the Old Testament again. I just want to show you how much precedent there is in the Scripture in the Old Testament. Zechariah 12. Of course, these two pages have to stick together when I need them. Okay, 12.10. And again, you, you read the, the writings of the rabbis in the first few centuries, and they would reference this and say, this has never happened. This is cataclysmic. This is wild. This is big. This is the Messiah. So according to even the rabbinical teachings, this hasn't happened yet. Verse 10, it says, remember, this is the Old Testament. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me whom they have pierced, the Hebrew word. Yes, they will mourn for him, this is the Messiah, as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Why would all of Israel mourn and grieve for the situation? Because many of them didn't recognize him the first time. Don't get me wrong. There's thousands of Jewish believers in Israel that and they're making a they're making a splash that are believers in Yeshua. They believe that he came. So this is the ones that right maybe right now in the stubbornness don't believe the Messiah is gonna gonna appear to them and say, you, you you know, I was pierced and you didn't believe and this spirit of grace is going to come and people their eyes are going to be open. Isn't that exciting? And again, hasn't happened yet. Zechariah fourteen is even more wild where uh, it speaks about the Messiah coming, touching down on the Mount of Olives and splits it into two. This is cataclysmic and this is the Old Testament. So, the bookmark. If we could put up an image of the bookmark. So this is a, a, it's a ministry that I think they're pretty solid. There's a lot on here. You'll probably need one of those, uh, you know, expanders to see because it's like micro-printed. But when you look at the, let's go to the bookmark. Um, the one with the colors on it, Yeah. 
So this is, it's an interesting thing because uh, the first, so this is the, the, the 483 years of Daniel. This is the last seven years, which has, hasn't happened yet. This is the church age, right? Time of the Gentiles. And I would say we're somewhere in here. Could be here, could be here. I don't know. But the second coming of Christ is here. However, right before that seven-year period, there's the removal of the church, the Harpazo, in a good way. Marriage, supper of the Lamb, all good stuff waiting for us up there. I'm looking forward to it. And then if I could just go to the next image and just try to explain it. So people often confuse the Greek word as Harpazo, a Latinized version is rapture, rapturo. doesn't matter what the word is. And his second coming, Right? So what's neat is Daniel 9, all the way in the Old Testament, splits the Messiah's coming into two events. The Lamb is first from 483 years from an articulable event in the Persian Empire until A.D. 32 A.D., Yeshua shows up. Okay? Then the church age is sort of a pause in that last seven-year period. So Daniel tells us that that last seven-year period, the lion's going to show up. Okay? The first time in the Lamb, He comes to redeem the soul. And the second time He comes, He comes to redeem the physical creation. So, real quickly. Um, rapture happens first. This is why when people don't believe the rapture or they get confused, it's all hodgepodge. It's jumbled up. Rapture comes first. Second coming happens after the rapture. And after that last seven-year period that Daniel speaks about, the tribulation period. Rapture, we're going to cover this two books later, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Why does it occur? We talked about Lot. We talked about the flood. It's very uh, congruous with what he's done before. Second coming, Revelation 19. Rapture, he never touches the earth. Believers meet him in the clouds of the air. Second coming, Christ touches the earth. We just re- talked about that. Zechariah 14 touches down at the Mount of Olives. Isaiah 63 through 64, I covered that book. Rapture, we won't know when it occurs. Unexpected. That's why all those guys who predicted the end of the world and Jesus coming, well, we're still here. It's 2023. So everybody who did that is a false teacher. Okay? So we're not doing that here. Um, Won't know when it occurs. Second second coming, we can almost extrapolate his return based on the seven-year tribulation. And even then, when did it exactly happen? Can anybody really calculate it? We're talking about all unbelievers. So I'm going to say that they probably don't know either. But in the timeline of things, after seven years, the Lord returns. Remember, we're already with, we're already with Him. Rapture brings saints from earth to heaven. Marriage supper of the Lamb. Second coming brings saints from heaven to the final war on earth. They're already up there. I'll just leave you with this. I wish I had coined this. I think it's pretty funny. You know Thanksgiving is coming when you see Christmas decorations. So, <laughs> Thanksgiving is one of those subtle things that I don't even know, was it the 25th? Sometimes it's on a Wednesday, sometimes on a Friday. But I know when Christmas is coming. So, what you usually see is, you know, the Christmas decorations will probably go up soon. Then you'll say, you know what, Thanksgiving's coming. I see the Christmas decorations. So, when you see the birth pangs and things getting closer to what Jesus says, what you realize is, well, the Lord's going to save us out of this before it happens, just like He did before. So, 
what is a balanced view? If anyone's frightened right now, please see me after service because that's not the point of it. Jesus didn't want to frighten his believers. He wanted to warn them. He wanted to be paying attention. He wanted them to be mindful. Similar to Deuteronomy 28, God gives us the harsh reality of an evil and sinful world, but he also gives us an understanding of the way of escape or the way of of how he protects us. Number one, John 3.16, he primarily does that by sending his son to die for our sins. We're already ahead of the game. We're promised eternal life through Christ. Listen, my life isn't perfect. 2023 was a rough year, I got to tell you. But you know what I know? He got me covered. And he promised me eternal life through Christ. So I really have nothing to complain about. I hope my wife hears that and tells me that next time I complain. (laughs) I know she heard that. Uh, So in the future, when the revelation judgments come down, he removes his church. So what do we do with that information? Number one, we don't live in fear. God has it under control. We go about our daily lives. We minister to people. We love people. uh, We plan. But knowing that the world is going to get worse, and we accept that. People who don't live in fear. People living in fear right now who don't know the Lord because they, every time you, you read the, look on the news, it's, it's terrifying. There's always something bad happening in our country, in the world. So what, how else are we supposed to behave? Well, not to be obsessed. Some people are obsessed with this stuff. We're only in it today because that's where we ran into it. We started in Luke 1. We're in Luke 21. Once we're out of here, we probably won't be discussing it for a long time. But, just like all the other teachings, something the Lord wants us to know. So not to be obsessed, right? But also to know that we shouldn't worship the world. We shouldn't worship our schedules. We shouldn't worship inanimate things that won't last the test of time as if it's the only reality. So how do we behave? Like the parable of the uh, faithful steward. Faithful steward was doing the Lord's business, His Lord's business. We do our Lord's business. Sometimes He'll put people in our lives. You know how many people come to me and say, hey, I have this person, I know they're depressed and I'm trying to minister to them. That is so awesome. I know this person that, you know, they keep making mistakes, they keep doing things that harm themselves and I'm trying to show them. I hear that a lot and I think it's wonderful because that's what the Lord has called us to do because we can be selfish. We can just look at our own little bubbles and forget about everything else. But as to me, I'm, as time is, times get more difficult, I want to reach out to people more. It's just who I am, you know, stuff I do outside of the pulpit. So I want you to be blessed by it. I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to be terrified because Jesus said not to be, and I'm not going to go against anything he says. I'm smart. But balance the two of those things. Balance it in your life. And you know what? Enjoy him and enjoy your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, so awesome. Lord, uh, I was so confused. Lord, you remember (laughs) when I first started reading the Bible, I didn't know which way was up. But you just helped me to, you know, I had to be patient. And you were patient with me. And I just pray for anybody here who's struggling with this stuff and they're a little confused. Um, It's probably normal to feel that way if this is something they've never seen before. We also pray, Lord, that more people would see the escape, Lord. See that you got their backs, that you saved their souls, you want them to have eternal life, but you also want them to live at peace here as well 
and to minister to others and show them that way. So with all these things, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.